Well, a little girl was talking to her grandma, and she asked, you know, there's just those questions you just don't ask, you know. So the little girl, and little kids don't have filters. The little girl asked grandma, Grandma, how old are you? And grandma looked over at the little grandson or granddaughter and said, Dear, you know, you shouldn't ask questions like that. Grown-ups just don't like to tell their age. Well, the next day, the little girl comes into grandma and says, Grandma, how much do you weigh? Honey. You shouldn't ask grown-ups how much they weigh. It's just not polite. Well, the next day, the little girl came in. She had a smile. She had a grin going from ear to ear. Grandma, I know how old you are. You're 62, and you weigh 160 pounds. And the grandma was sort of petrified and a little shocked, a little taken by that. And she's like, honey, how in the world do you know that? And the little girl said, well, you left your driver's license on the table, and I read it, and I also saw that you got an F in sex. <laughs> oh, just a little misunderstanding goes a long way. I fear for too long in the church, we've probably got an F in sex. The world is saturated with it. The world is talking about it all the time. And even though we live in a sex-crazed society, we don't like talking about it a lot in the church. It makes us uncomfortable. It makes us a little uneasy. And you don't want to go to church and feel uncomfortable. It's just, you know, we don't put that together. Well, that might uh, answer the reason we don't talk a lot about it in church might be the reason a lot of guys don't like going to church because it's just bad. You know, we don't want to talk about it because it's a bad thing. Well, seldom is sex in the church seen as a beautiful thing, but the reality is it is, isn't it? It is an incredible gift that God has given humanity. And I want to tell you a little bit more about this. I want to jump into this just to give you a little bit different of a picture here this morning. Um, I believe that, that God has called us to be in an incredible, intimate relationship with Him. And that separates us. This, this relationship that God calls us to through Jesus Christ separates us from so much of what's going on in our world. Various religions, various thoughts, various concepts. God wants us to be in relationship with him, but if you contemplate that for very long, it becomes very hard for us to wrap our mind around the idea that the God of the universe, the God that created everything, the God that holds everything in life together, how in the world could we have a relationship? A relationship, not just an acquaintance, not just a to-do list, a relationship with that God. And I believe that one of the things God did is he gave us sex. He gave us marriage. He gave us love so that we would have some handles, so that we could have some idea of how God wants to be in relationship with us. That kind of intimacy, that kind of love, that kind of trust, uh, that, that, that kind of relationship. And if God gave us this incredible gift to mirror the relationship he desires for us, may I ask you a question? What do you think Satan is going to want to attack more than anything else in humanity? The very thing that remodels the relationship that God wants with us. And in this arena, in this arena of sex and marriage, it has come under attack. And it has come under attack especially in our country in the last few years. So let me just uh, run some statistics. I, we talked about this last week. We started talking about desire, and this week we're going to talk about some solutions. 
and I uh, gave you some statistics, and I got a lot of feedback on the statistics. Wow, I didn't know that. And I can give you all the background. If you want to come talk to me, I can give you the, the papers and the, the places you can go see this. But I want to give you a little bit more information so you can understand just how big of an elephant this is in the room. Sometimes we ignore the very thing that is causing so much problem in our community, in our world, even in the church. So let me just give you some of these. Today, sex and advertising is unquestionably, it's not even a question anymore, unquestionably the most effective means in advertising. It's also one of the leading ways to attract a greater TV or movie audience. And a female pop artist who isn't overtly sexy, think about Lady Gaga or Madonna or Katy Perry or any other female singer, if they're not sexy, then that's grandma's music, not the 20-year-old's. More than 40 million Americans are regular, visits to, regular visitors to porn sites, and the average visit lasts 6 minutes and 29 seconds. Pornography has become big business for years now. There are around 42 million porn sites. These are old statistics, by the way. They're not like yesterday's. It's changing so rapidly. 42 million porn sites, which totals around 370 million pages of porn at our disposal. Pornography has become big business now, and it's estimated, and this is a couple years ago, at $15 billion per year, compared to $10 billion at the same time that Hollywood was making in profits. The porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, NBA, and uh, MLB. So baseball, basketball, and football, porn makes more money than those three sports combined. Porn makes more money than ABC, CBS, and NBC, all their profits combined. The porn industry makes more money than those three giants in our media. 47% of families in the United States report that pornography is a problem in the home. And here's one that just shocked my gourd. 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn. I See, I can get that one. This one shocked me. 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. 94%, so just about every child by the age of 14. So that's society, but what about the church, you know? We're talking about here. 70% of Christian youth pastors report that they have had at least one teen come to them for help dealing with pornography in the last 12 months. 68% of church-going men view porn on a regular basis. Of young Christian adults, 18 to 24-year-olds, 76 actively are searching for porn on a regular basis. 59% of pastors say married men seek help for porn use. 33% of women ages 25 and under search for porn at least once per month. Only 13% of self-identified Christian women, 13%, only 13%, as self-identified Christian women say they've never watched porn. 87%, I said this last week, women's porn use is quickly growing to the level of men's porn use and even outgrowing it. 87% of Christian women say they have watched or do watch pornography. 55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once per month. 57% of pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation. And 69% say porn has adversely impacted their church. Does that shock anybody? It's not just out in the world. It's now invaded even inside the church. 
Last week, we looked at Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount when he said that a, woman, a man, well, a man, but anyone, who looks at a woman lustfully or a man lustfully has already committed adultery with, him in, with her in his heart. As I dug into that passage, what I discovered is that Jesus' point is not that desire is wrong. We all have desires. That's what gets us up in the morning and gets us out to work to make a paycheck. But as I began to dig into this passage a little more, what Jesus' point here is not that desire is wrong, that sex is wrong, but that it has to be in balance. It has to stay in the parameters that God designed it to be. And what happens is when desire begins to override the banks, all of a sudden, our desire for something throws reason out the window, throws goodwill out the window, throws our common sense out the window, and we begin to go after things that really we shouldn't. And that's why we need ethics. That's why we need morality to set those things straight, to keep those banks in place. When our hearts desire something that we throw, and we throw out the good and the sensible, what happens is the object of our desire then loses its value and it simply becomes valuable to us only in what it can give to us, only what it can provide for us. And in these couple weeks, I'm talking pretty frank. A naked woman loses who she is and just becomes a means to give me what I want. A man with rugged chest on the front of a romance novel simply becomes the object of my lust and attention for that man to be in his arms. And that man has no value for me except what he can give me. Jesus' comments about cutting off your hand or gouging out your eyes then become a bit humorous because these actions have no value in changing our hearts because a blind person can be just as lustful as a fully seeing person. And so it's almost Jesus' sort of joke here. Cutting off your hands or just cutting off the means or stopping to do it doesn't change the heart. The problem isn't with the action. The problem is with the heart from which that action spins. So if cutting out our eyes or cutting off our hands or gouging out our eyes is not the solution, then what is the solution? That's a great question. What's the great solution? And I want to say from the outset that sex runs so deep in our human's construction, there's no simple fix. But it is a fix that God's Spirit can bring about over time. And I want to show you a biblical uh, prescription this morning, a way out. Dallas Willard's where I got this. I love it. And it, it just is showing up in a lot of other places for me as well. His model, he labels it VIM. V-I-M. VIM. If you want to take some notes, this is a great sermon this morning to take some notes. VIM. It's the idea that spiritual transformation to become Christ-like results from getting the right vision of reality and goodness, the right intention and decision to actually become like Jesus Christ, and then an adequate means to carry out that intention. The same principles involved in whether you want to lose weight, whether you want to change a bad habit or form a good habit, uh, to save money, to learn to speak French, to get into that dream house. These three things develop us morally in any way, shape, or form. And so I'm going to put them up here on the PowerPoint. So uh, Richard, if you can, vision, intention, and means. They're the three core areas of our life that develop who we are. The reason we know that this works is because this very thing leads us also into wrong actions. So it's these very things that bring about moral development in our life. So you, how many of you have met some, some uh, immature people? And have you met some really mature people? 
okay? This is what forms maturity within us, spiritual maturity, moral maturity, intellectual maturity. These three things are always working inside of us, our vision, our intention, and our means. Another way to label this is what I know, who I am, my being, and what I do. This is the sum of who we are. Everyone is formed by these three elements, vision, intention, and means. Now, let's move on a little bit further here. Um, let's just jump, jump to the, the overheads here. As you're looking through this, there's a couple things we need to look at uh, that helps us understand. You see that they all overlap in our areas. So none of these are interdependent. They're all dependent on each other. And so let's take a look at how this works. The first thing we have to look at, if you notice, in this diagram, they all overlap, but there's a core, there's a center there where they all overlap. And I want to plead a case to you this morning. Whatever is at the core of those three things in your life is how you're going to form your vision, your means, and your intention. So for the sake of, we are a church, amen? And we are a Christ church. So at the center, I'm going to put Jesus Christ. Let's put that up there. So there you go. Boom. Isn't that cool? Jesus is up there. God, we have to find out. We have to answer the question, what is at the core of our being? Because let me tell you, here's the case. Whatever is at the core of your being is how you're going to develop in all these other areas. Because what I'm going after is going to shape my vision, shape what I want to know. What I'm going after, what I'm going after is where I'm going to put my efforts and my intention. What I'm after is the kind of actions that I want coming from my life. And whatever is at the core of your life is going to form who you are. So we can go one more circle. So there we go. Around that whole big thing, this is you. You and a diagram. Aren't you awesome? You came to church to find out you and a diagram. There's a picture of every one of you. That's who you are. Whatever's at your core is going to shape your vision, your means, and your attention, and it is going to form things like your worldview. It's going to form who you are in Christ. It's going to form the kind of person you are. When people see you, they don't see the vision, the means, and the intention. They see the red. They see that circle because that is who you are. Now, this process, by the way, works for Christians and non-Christians alike. This is simply a pattern to how we're formed and how we all form our ethics in our lives, be it an atheist, a business person, a school teacher, a Satan worshiper, a Christian, or a politician. This system is how we simply mature over time. And here's the catch. Whatever is at the core is going to form these other areas and eventually going to form who you are as a person. So in essence, let's say you're an atheist. Well, that means that probably you're going to be at the center of your core because there is no God. And so you're going to form your life with this thought that there is no God. So you're going to spend your time looking for no God. So you're going to know that there is no God. We're going to see science that there is no God. It's going to change my intention. I'm going to live like there is no God. So I might as well be in the core. And eventually it's going to change my actions. So it's going to change what I actually do because I don't believe there's any consequences because there is no God. There is no afterlife. So what's at your core drastically affects everything else in your life. Now I say that because we're not talking about a human emotional formation this morning. We're talking about Christian transformation. 
And a huge distinction in the, there was a huge distinction in the core. You could talk about, you know, life development and human development and all that stuff. That's what a lot of this comes out of or stems from. We could talk about that stuff, but that's not what we're about. We are about a Christian church in Jesus Christ. Now, if Christ is not at the core for you, everything else I'm going to talk about this morning is only going to frustrate you. And that's why I want to talk about that up front. If Jesus isn't at the core of your being, then this becomes a lot of work and a lot of nonsense. Because I'm stemming from the idea that Jesus is at your core. And this, by the way, makes Christ very exclusive. Because his system only works if he's at the center. So if you read Jesus and you're like, well, Jesus has a lot of neat little things and good ideas and whatnot, but he isn't the core of who you are exclusively at the core, then that stuff just becomes a lot of fluff and it just becomes a lot of hard work. And some of the people in the New Testament saw that. They didn't like that. This makes following Christ very exclusive because his system only works if he's at the center of it. So you can't share the center of your heart with Buddhism, Mormonism, Satanism, humanism, Eastern mysticism, or anything else. Christ does not allow us that leeway. He's either at the middle or, the not, or not. His teachings are either right or they're wrong. They're not sort of right or sort of good. They're right or they're wrong. If he's not at the core, then everything else he talked about will collapse. So the very first and most important question this morning, are you committed and have you committed to have Jesus and Jesus alone as a center of your life? Not God. God's too generic for us in this day. Is Jesus Christ the center of your life? And Jesus said this, by the way, very plainly. I'm either at the center or I'm not. And he put it in the form of money. He said, you cannot serve two masters. You'll love the one and you'll hate the other. You can't have two guys at the core. And he said, you can't serve me, you can't serve money because you'll love the money, you'll chase after that, and you won't chase after me. But if I'm at the core, then money will play, find its place and it won't be the center of your universe because I am mutually exclusive. I'm either it or I'm not. So have you committed your life to Jesus Christ? That's where it starts. Have you put him at the core? Now, if you have, awesome. If you haven't, why not today? Everything I want to talk about from this point on stems from that decision. And if he is not in the core, you can call yourself a Christian, but he isn't. We are Christians, Christ followers. We are Christians. Are you on with Jesus Christ? Here's the deal. It's sometimes hard for us Americans to wrap our minds around this. We live in a democracy. We vote on our presidents. We have various leaders that come and go. We just won't even go there. <laughs> we have various leaders. We don't understand a kingdom. We, we weren't raised in a kingdom. And I can tell you, in a kingdom, you can have only one king. You can't have multiple kingdoms, and the kingdom survive. There's one king, one leader, and he or she, usually he, but right now for England, it's a she. That's it. And this is what Jesus said. He said, I came to be a king of a kingdom, and I'm either king or I'm not. 
You can't have your king be booze and me. You can't have your kingdom be sex and me. You can't have your kingdom be money and me. You can't have your king be something over here and then want me as sort of a king too. I'm either king or I'm not. And this is one of the very first things Jesus really hammered. Either I'm it or I'm not. And you have to make up your mind. Come follow me or don't. Am I Lord of your life? So I ask again, who's at the core of your life? You're not going to be able to build a Christ-like life if Christ isn't the center of it. And that's what this whole series is about, a kingdom kind of life. Jesus said, I came to bring a kingdom, and you all get to be a part of it. Not in the afterlife, not once you die. You get to be a part of this kingdom right now. And are you part of the kingdom or not? And if you're part of the kingdom, that means I'm your king. Am I your king? So we have to establish who's at the core of our lives. Very first thing. Then we can begin to build out this vision, this uh, intention, and this means. So let's move on. Let's move on into the rest of this circle. There are two parts to getting a vision right. We're going to take a, take a look at that first off. Two sides of the vision. When we get trapped in something that isn't honorable to God, when it's injuring to people, injuring to ourselves... Both sides get injured. And sex, by the way, when we're talking about desire, sex is one of the big ones that we get way messed up, that we get way out of the banks as a human society. We have, by the way, from the beginning of time. So this isn't a new phenomenon. If you're thinking nobody in all the world has the sex problems I have, guess what? Yes, there's been thousands that's gone before you, sadly to say. This is one of those big areas. And obviously, Jesus knew that, and that's why he included it as one of the six big things in the Sermon on the Mount, this whole idea. Two times, lust and marriage. Sex is core to both of those things. And so as we begin to walk down this road, we have to understand that our vision, uh, a, a wrong vision affects us in two different ways that we have to get corrected. First off, we have to have a correct vision of who we are. And secondly, we have to have a correct vision of who other people are of how God sees people, of where they really are. You have to know, if you're going to begin to walk out of this, I want to encourage you, if Jesus is at the core of your life, you're going to need to and begin to start to change how you think God views you. You have to know that you are loved, deeply loved, by the Father. And that you are accepted by the Father. Misuse of sex horribly devalues self. We can get stuck in a vision that we are helpless and we're hopeless. We can go down that road. I have dealt with people, with drug addicts, with guys stuck in sex. I have dealt with people who beat themselves up and they become the victim. And what ends up sometimes happening is they begin to blame God. He made me this way. I can't help it. I think that's very dangerous. Very dangerous. But when we mess this up, when we mess up who God really thinks we are, we begin to beat ourselves up. We begin to devalue ourselves. We begin to, we be, we begin to lose our, our self-worth. And we can get caught up believing that God will never love me because I'm not good enough. You don't know how many people I've talked to that's been so wrapped up in that game. I can't be good enough. I never will be good enough. And I just want to sit there and laugh a little bit, but scream, you never will be. You never can be good enough. That's how great God's love is. He still accepts you anyway. He still loves you anyway. 
Sexual sin being lusting, sleeping around, sex outside of marriage or wedlock, sex uh, before wedlock, it devalues us. So the first vision that we must begin to change in our lives is really to understand how much God loves us. We must learn and know that, and that comes through seeking after God, hanging out with his people, getting into his word, reading about him, connecting into a small group. All these different ways help us begin to understand just how much God loves us. That vision has to change. Here's the second aspect that has to change. I don't want to be the bearer of sad news for you, but God doesn't just love you. Don't jump into the role of first spoiled child or only child. God doesn't just love you, he loves everyone else as well with just as great a love. And one of the dangers of pornography and why the sex trade has gone rampant in the world is that people do not see women or men as valuable or as real And when we get wrapped up in lustful desire, we simply see people as objects and not holding value or being real. In fact, the object of desire's only value, or the the only value that an object desired has, is the value that it can give me, how it helps me, how it satisfies me. And we never think that that person is a daughter or a son of someone that they have a husband or a wife, that they have kids, that they live in a house, that they eat, that they go shopping, that they like to play Yahtzee. We no longer see them as a person, but only an object for us to manipulate and use. And so we need to have a new vision for them, one that sees them with a godly lens and through godly eyes and godly love. Sadly, modern TV does not help us with this. Because TV only presents persons or personas and not real people. We only see what the TV gurus want us to see and about the flashes that come across the screen are simply what TV is presenting to us is an image they want us to have and it does not say this really is who they are. They don't want you to see where they live. They don't, want to, they don't want you to see what they did for shopping last night. They don't want you to know that they didn't buy that particular pill. They bought a different, but they're not going to tell you that. They don't want you to see it. They're presenting a persona so that you will buy their products or, or take, chew up or, 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 or watch their videos. And we all know that sex sells. And so they use objects. They turn women and men into objects to simply sell their wares. Have you ever wondered... Well, you only see busty babes on the front of Hot Rod magazines. You never see the non-busty babes. Sex sells. Have you ever wondered why when you're checking out in the grocery store and all those romance novels are sitting there, you only see the guys with the ripped chests? I got that, by the way. It's just buried under a lot of fat. Okay? You never see the reality because sex sells. Vision comes from God. Let me make this clear. Vision comes from God. And we are so messed up as humans. Sorry to burst your bubble, but we are so messed up as humans. We cannot be trusted to create a vision for ourselves or other people. We'll mess it up every time. Vision comes from God. And therefore, society needs morality and law and ethics because for so many, they do not know God 
And that's part of the reason why we're getting in trouble as a society because we think we are God and that we can form this. And the problem is we just keep lowering the bar. The common denominator keeps going down because we're trying to create our own vision and it doesn't work because vision comes from outside of us. Right vision comes from the Father and comes through Jesus Christ. And therefore, moving beyond the lust of the eyes can only happen when God's Spirit is within us and begins to transform not just our actions, but begins to transform our hearts. And you know what Jesus and what God says about people? They are dearly loved. You are dearly loved. That sexy model is dearly loved. And not, if not by their pa- parents and their family, they are dearly loved by me my child and we need to have a new vision a kingdom kind of person will not lust because they've gouged out their eyes or cut off their their hands a kingdom kind of person won't 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 lust because they have now god's love and a vision of god's love filling their heart a phileo type of love a brotherly type of love which sees value in all people One of the things that really discouraged me during this whole last political cycle was even inside of the church, we went down this road, not just in sex, we went down this in politics, that those people have no value to me because they're not voting like I vote. And we now are letting the world infiltrate our value system. And we can't go there. Even the most stouch liberal of Democrats is dearly loved by God and his or her daughter and son. And Jesus said, that's the way that we're to view the people around us. Whether we like them or don't like them, whether we agree with them or don't agree with them, Jesus says that's the kind of heart a kingdom person has. They have a vision of God's love. When we have phileo love for others, we no longer see a supermodel on TV who's valuable just for their looks. We see them as a son or a daughter of God. We see them as a real person in need of love, with feelings, with emotions, with joy, with laughter, with sadness, with heartache. You know, one of the things I thought was interesting, I've watched a couple um, um, news shows on supermodels, and the, the torture that they are put through to keep that weight and to live that type of life, I would say, is on the edge of abuse. And the only reason they put up with it is because they're given a million dollar paycheck but it's abusive. And if that's all we see, that's where we'll go. Our desires will overrun the banks and we'll only see a supermodel. We won't see a person that's going home and starving themselves so they can still, their picture, their image can still be sold. We need to see people with full life and dearly loved. Let me illustrate this with something different. I love donuts. Y'all love donuts? Come on, be honest. I can tell. Sean's glad we all love donuts. I couldn't even get in line yesterday because some guy bought out almost the whole case of donuts at their shop. I didn't want a donut that day, but it's okay. But I love donuts. Now, my addiction has been curved over this last year, unbelievably. There was this little problem I had. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just be open and honest with you this morning. Okay, we do a little AA this morning. Every day when I lived in Brunswick, I had to go down 303. I had to turn there at Walgreens. And I had to go past something every day that's on the right. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? 
And there's this big sign in the window. I, it never is off, by the way. Have you ever noticed that? That sign is never off. It says, hot, fresh donuts, okay? And every day, I'd, I'd be sitting there at the corner, and I would turn, and Walmart, or Walmart, Walgreens is there, but then you see that red sign lit up in the window, and all of a sudden, the donuts call my name, John, 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 John. And I have a vision, I have a vision for donuts, their soft gooiness, sugar-coated. The good ones have... I don't like donuts, by the way. I like pastries. I'm a little more sophisticated. You know, apple filling inside, the apple fritters. Oh, the apple fritters are to die for. Okay, the apple fritters, or, you know, I like the long johns with the good stuff in, not the custard. Who wants to put custard in that? Give me the sugar, okay? Um, and I, 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 you know, and so I, will, I drive by there, and I, I have this vision of what that donut is going to be like. It is going to, and I tell myself this, and you do too, so don't go pointing fingers. That donut is going to make my life better. If I've had a bad day, I deserve a donut today. Right? Right? If I just have that, here's what I would do. I actually, I would think about it all night long. I would drive by, sneak in there because Michelle's at work. <laughs> and I would get a couple and I'd bring them to the church and I would eat them like in the covert secretness of my office. <laughs> so nobody would see it. That was my vision for the donut because it's going to make my day so much better. All that sugary goodness, that joy that's going to fill my heart. I have a vision of all the donut will do for me. The problem is I need to have a real vision because let's be honest, that's a fantasy. <laughs> Tell me, it's a fantasy, okay? It's a fantasy. And so what I really need to do is I got to change my vision. And my, my, my appetite for donuts has been curbed a little bit. And, and I, I'm starting because I deal with some of you folks, okay? You guys are ruining my donut addiction. All of a sudden, I, I'm beginning to realize that, you know, a donut is nothing more than a little water mixed with a blob of flour. And you know what that does? It makes paste. And you throw it in the oven and it rises, okay? And then to make it a little better, we throw a bunch of sugary carbs on top of that. And when I start picturing what that donut does to me, it makes me, my sugars go crazy. It makes me have to pee a lot, okay? Because my sugars are nuts. And then I start to realize, you know, if I keep going down this road, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be like my dad and have to start getting shots every day. Great, that donut. Every donut, one shot. Donut, shot. Donut, shot. Oh, grand. And then before too long, and I've worked with people because their diabetes got out of control, all of a sudden they have to start cutting off their feet and their toes and their legs. Every donut. Doggone. I don't like you sitting here, Sean. Every sugary white chocolate cold mocha. Sean told me that's the worst to get there, okay? Just so you know. All of that ruins my pancreas. And someday when I'm 65, 70, every one of those things are going to start catching up with me. And you know what? Now all of a sudden my vision for donuts is sort of not so hot, not so great. You see, the road to change is to first have a new vision. A vision not steeped in fantasy, and that's a problem with sex. We, we steep our vision in fantasy rather than reality. And when you begin to change your vision, when you begin to see yourself as a dearly loved child, when you begin to see the supermodel or the hunk on the front of that magazine as a dearly loved child, as somebody's son or daughter, as going home to maybe a shack rather than a beautiful apartment or a house, you begin to see them as a real person. All of a sudden, 
our hearts slowly take a tick to churn and to change. And the next thing then that comes into play is then my intention. So the prominent vision must be replaced by a vision of a woman and a man as oneself as creatures of God for his blessing. Walk in the hard life towards, uh, through suffering and affliction and pain, heading towards eternity somewhere. This vision then allows us to look upon others with compassion as loved creatures, and it begins to change my intention then to see things in the light of God and to do or not do things based on that vision. It dawned on me this morning. I was going through the sermon, and it really hit me this morning, and I think you can identify with this. I, I look at my yard, and several of you have asked me this morning, which uh, that's just one of those God things that's sort of freaky, but some, how's the yard going, Pastor John? It's, it's bad, Okay. I had, I had Jan Wagner come over, bless her heart. She went through, I wanted her to show me the flowers, and all she kept saying the whole time she's walking through my, you have a lot of work to do. You have a lot of work to do. Well, yesterday I started doing that work. I look at the, the garden, I look at the yard, and I think of all the things. I, I, I have a vision in my head. I try to tell Michelle, and she's like, we can't pay for that. And we're not going, uh-uh. But I have this vision of how it should look, and I have the means. Even if I don't have all the money, I have two guns to do the work, right? Uh, come on. Right? So I have some means. I can pick up a shovel and I can start doing the work. I have the means. But you know what I find myself doing a lot? Right? TV is so much easier to watch. Watching the home improvement people do that is so much easier than me doing that. What's happening? My intention is falling short. I have a vision. I have the means. But I don't want to. This is the role intention plays. Intention is coming to grips with the reality of who we really are. Coming to the grips of the reality that I'm either going to do it or not. And I can have all the best intentions and yet never do it and still be exactly where I was yesterday, right? Yard mess, flowers going crazy, and poison ivy everywhere in my case. Intention is the decision that I'm going to get up off the couch and do something about what's keeping me from the vision. It's going to motivate me. A few years ago, I was working with a lot of Hispanic students in our district, and I got the vision that I wanted to learn Spanish so that I could communicate with them. It, Michelle's good at this stuff. I'm horrible at languages. I love English, and I love, I'm a word master, but I, I languages... Now, because I don't like memory, okay? I don't like doing that stuff. Um, so I wanted to learn Spanish. The district actually paid for, what, what's those, the, the online thing? And Rosetta Stone, that's the one, Rosetta Stone. They pay, it's expensive. And they paid for it for me and the district superintendent. And so I'm doing Rosetta Stone, and I did this for about a year. And you know how much Spanish I know? I had the vision, I want to communicate with the Hispanic students, and I had the means, they paid for Rosetta Stone, but I did not have the intention. Well, I'm too busy. I don't have enough time. I'd rather watch TV and just, you know how the Hispanic students, they don't have all the tools in the world, they, don't, they can't pay for Rosetta Stone, and yet most Hispanic people in the United States, a lot of them, can speak pretty good English. You know what their Rosetta Stone is? Sesame Street. They told me, watch Sesame Street. 
That teaches you the language. I'm like, really? You know? And so I have all the vision in the world. I have all the means in the world because, you know, let's be honest, we Americans are rich. I have all that to my disposal, but I didn't have the intention. I didn't make the step to do it. And this is why intention becomes such a, a, a humbling and hard thing for us to change what we're addicted to. Because intention brings us to the reality of who we are. Being in our model. If I'm going to lose weight, I have to be honest that I'm overweight and I like food. If I'm an alcoholic and stuck in booze, I have to be honest that I'm an alcoholic and I like booze. If I'm struggling with pornography, I have to be honest. I'm addicted. And I like porn. And it is a decision that I'm making. I had a doctor that I won't go back to anymore. He looked at me and said, John, you need to lose some weight. No. And then he told me the thing I didn't like. I said this a couple weeks ago. He told me, you and you alone control what go into your mouth. And you've got to make different decisions. We don't like that, do we? And you see, when we're dealing with any of these things, we have to come to the grips that I am the one making the decision. My mom and dad didn't force food down me, and they still aren't doing that. My mom and dad don't make me do this. The world doesn't make me do this. I'm a bad guy. The world doesn't make me look at things I shouldn't or move into things I shouldn't do. The world doesn't do that. I alone make the decision. And that's where intention comes into play. What am I going to decide to do about it? I have a vision. I might very well have a means. But am I going to decide to be something different? This is where Jesus at the core makes such a huge, huge difference. Not only does Jesus change our vision, but I believe Jesus is the one who can help us with the intention. He is the one that can say, you can be a different person. You have the means and you have the vision. I'll help you become a different person. I'll transform your heart. So we have vision. We have intention. And now let's talk about means. Means is simply a vehicle for our vision and our intention. We need to look at it that way. Vision is simply a means or a vehicle. And this is where recovery programs so often fall short because they focus on simply cutting off the means. But the problem is, if my vision and my intention have not been changed, those two things are packed with so much energy and so much power and so much IQ smarts that they will always find a way to override my means, to override my will, to overpower me. And we will no longer be able to say no. If your intention and your vision has not changed, you'll never be able to say no. You might say no for a while, but you will not be able to say no for very long. So means is the opportunity then to indulge in a wrong vision and a wrong intention. So it almost always results in failure. But when we're working from a transformed vision, when we're working to become with intention the person God wants us to be, then means becomes actually a weapon in our arsenal and a tool for us to use in our transformation. But it always has to work with our vision and our intention. They work together. 
Let me give you an example from my own life. And I'm sorry if we're doing a lot of personal stuff. I know me more than I know any of you, so I can hopefully connect with you a little bit. As I have been working on this sermon series, I've been doing something strange while watching TV, and its impact actually surprised me. I was not expecting the impact of this. As I'm sitting there, I'm trying to consciously think about the, the people that I'm seeing on the television that I'm seeing in front of me. And I want you to know that uh, I am a guy, duh, and women are cute and attractive, duh. I married one of the best ones, yay me. I married up, as my former district superintendent said, you know, you married up, and you married out of your league. And I'm like, yeah, lucky me, <laughs> good for me. But I'm sitting there watching television, and if you haven't noticed, society has a way of dumbing us down. And so we sit there and watch television, all this stuff's going in my head just all the time. I don't really think about it, just sitting there watching, blah, 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 watching a movie, watching whatever. And all of a sudden, I, I begin to notice that, you know, I don't see people, I, I just see personas. I, I'm, I'm seeing actors up there selling this product or selling that or, you know, whatever, you know, doing this in this show, you know, and it's grabbing my attention. And so what I've done, and this, I started doing this about five, six weeks ago, it was actually during the previous sermon series, as I'm sitting there, I'm trying to consciously think about the people that's in front of me on that television. Rather than just looking at their persona that's being presented, their body, I'm trying to look into their eyes. And, and I'm going to go specifically into ladies. I'm trying to look into their, their eyes and begin to realize that that lady there has a life Yes, they're an actor. Yes, they're acting. Yes, they're presenting a persona to sell a product or sell a show. But they have a real life. They go back to an apartment. Or maybe it's a really fancy actress and they go back to a really rich house. I don't know. But they have a life. They probably drive a car. Was it Crocodile Dundee that said, I put my pants on one leg at a time just like everybody else? They do too. And I'm starting to see who they are. Is she married? Is she not married? Does she know Jesus? Does she not know Jesus? Does she have kids? Does she go to church? Does she have a mom who loves her, a dad who adores her? Does she go back to a fancy place? Does she have a cool car or just a Yugo? Remember those? That just showed your age, eh? As I have been consciously trying to change my vision, that was where my vision, I was working on that, I was actually shocked by what started happening in my life. And it had nothing to do with sex, okay? So we're going to leave that for just a second. I was sitting there one night, and I remember the commercial. It was being flashed on the screen, and we've all seen it a hundred times. It's the commercial where the little, it's a Kleenex commercial, where the little kid's in running his fire truck, and his nose is going, rear, rear, rear. know that commercial? And the dad comes in with a box of Kleenex to save the day and gives a little kid a Kleenex, the, the fire goes out, and everything's wonderful. And then Kleenex, you know, comes up on the screen, you know, because it's, it's the rescue for everybody. I was watching that commercial, and it dawned on me that because of the vision and the intention that I was working on, something changed in me. Y'all were alive last year, right? Except for Maggie. Yes? Y'all remember the race riots, yes? Y'all remember the politic debates, right? 
I don't know if you're anything like me. I went through all of that, and one of the things that changed in me, I actually started to get mad about television and commercials. And I'll tell you why. I'm a white guy, middle class, live in Valley City of all places. All the white people disappeared from television. Y'all notice that? All the regular families disappeared from television. It was all replaced with gay. And I was getting mad. Didn't even know I was getting mad. And as I watched that commercial, after having been working on my vision and my intention, I watched that, and you know what? The dad is a black guy. The son's a black guy, kid. They live in a nice house. They didn't have the stereotypes that have been being pushed in my head by the deep state or whoever. And all of a sudden, I started to see a beautiful family. Not black, not white, but a dad who loved his kid and a kid who had a problem needed his nose fixed. It was like a deja vu moment for me as I was sitting there. I was like, wait a minute. The angst is gone. The anger is gone. And then all of a sudden, something beautiful began to happen in my heart. Over the last month, when I'm watching television, I'm starting to see families that are actually put together being presented. Be it black, white, Native American, Asian, who knows? All of a sudden, I started to see goodness rather than all the evil. And it wasn't a change in what was happening on the TV because it's the same exact commercials. It's a change here. You see, my vision and my intention came together to literally begin to change my actions. And it wasn't something that I was intentionally, I wasn't sitting there like, I only want to see good families. I only want to see good families. I, don't, I want to lose all the stereotypes. I want to be, you know, an open-minded, non-white racist. You know, I want to da-da-da-da. And, and I wasn't intentionally doing all that. But all of a sudden, I started to fall more in love with all colors, with all people. Whether I agree with their relationship status or not, they are a dearly loved child. So my vision and my intention began to now play out in my means. This brings us back to Jesus' joke. If cutting off your hands and gouging out your eyes would work, then there's going to be few blind stump people in hell, and there's going to be a whole lot of blind stump people in heaven. And you know what Jesus said? They get the joke now? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can cut and cut and cut, and you can gouge and gouge and gouge, but until your heart changes, the means, the action will never change. So change the heart. Let me take you to one more passage, Mark chapter 10. This passage has been in my head thanks to somebody here this week. They told it to me, and it's just been rattling around in here. It's a really interesting story in Mark chapter 10. A rich guy comes to Jesus and, and uh, says, I want to go to heaven. And Jesus looks at him and says, okay, if you want to go to heaven, no problem. Sell everything you have, drop it all, and come follow me. And the rich man lowers his head and walks away sad because the Bible tells us he had a lot of wealth. 
Well, the disciples didn't like this, so they came to Jesus, and they're like, well, Jesus, you know, can a rich man really go to heaven? And Jesus then said, and this is fascinating, he says, yes, a rich man can go to heaven, but it's just about as hard for a camel to go through the eye of a needle as it is for a rich man to go to heaven. Now, don't think that you're going to grind up a camel and a rich man and send them through a blinder so you can, or a blender to sift them through a needle. That's not what he's talking about. It was actually a gate in Jerusalem where a camel had to be totally unloaded. And if you're rich, you have camels. And if the, you're really rich, you have to unload all that stuff. And so this camel would have to be totally unloaded, get down on his knees, climb through the gate, and then all that stuff put back on the camel. It's possible, but it's very, very difficult. So, guess what? Most people that were rich wouldn't go through the eye of the needle. They would find another way around. And Jesus says that going to heaven for a rich man is about as impossible for a rich man to go to heaven as a camel going through the eye of the needle gate. It's difficult, but not impossible. The disciples then come back and they're scratching their heads and they're like, well then, who can go to heaven? And Jesus says something brilliant. Remember, one of our premises is Jesus is the wisest man who has ever lived, most brilliant man who ever lived. And this wise, brilliant son of God said, it is impossible for man, but what is impossible for man is possible with God. All things are possible with God. And this morning, you may be thinking, I, I don't know that I can get over this. I don't know that I can move my desires. I am so stuck in this. I am so stuck in this addiction, be it a porn addiction or a sex addiction. Um, by the way, I, and I don't want to just dwell on the porn. I'm telling you, there's a lot of ladies stuck on sex, too. And not porn. Relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship. Looking for love, looking for love, looking for love. I can't get out of this. And I want to echo Jesus' words to you this morning. What seems so impossible with man is possible with God. That's why Jesus at the core is so important. When Jesus is at the core of who we are, so we're coming back to that, when Jesus is at the core of who I am, he begins to change everything. He begins to reshape my vision. He begins to reform my intentions, my being. He then begins to be lived out in my doing and in my means, in the very choices that I make. If Jesus is at the core, if your vision is right, your intentions are moving you towards God, then naturally you're going to have a change in your actions, a change in what you do. If you have ever been frustrated in life that you do not do what you want to do and you do what you don't want to do, if you are stuck, then your biggest and first question that you have to ask, what's at the core? What's at the center? And I want to tell you, Jesus is the only way out. Not Buddha, not Allah, all those religions... It's all about doing. Jesus is the only one that said, I came to love you freely. Nothing you can do. And I will step in and help you. Who's at the core? I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. They're going to wrap us up in a song this morning, right? And as they're singing, we can sing with them as they're playing. I want us all to think about that. If you're stuck... Who's at the core? And how are you allowing Jesus at the core of your being to shape your vision, to change your intentions, and you won't even have to worry about the means. That'll take care of itself. 
Where's your heart? Dear Father, this morning we come to you pleading that we need your Son to come into our lives. We don't glibly call ourselves Christian. We call ourselves Christian because, Jesus, you, cry, you came to be our Savior. You came to show us a different way. You came to plainly say, this is the way life works, but in order for it to work, I've got to be your king. And when I'm your king, everything's going to work. Everything's going to change. And so, Jesus, really, this whole thing comes down to that, salvation. Father, my heart's prayer is that if anybody's here, they may have been playing the part of Christian, but if they don't know you, they'll make a serious contemplation of moving into relationship with you. And then I look forward to the freedom you want to bring. You want to change our vision, you want to change our intention, you want to change our actions. And when you set up shop and you begin working inside of us, wild things begin to happen, Jesus. So I pray that that wild things will begin to happen at Life Spring. That whether we're 80 or whether we're 20, our lives will begin to change because you're in us. So Holy Spirit, come this morning, work within us, work in our hearts, begin to show us the reality, the truth of your word. Help us to see it from your vantage point, not ours. And begin to transform us into your image so that we can be kingdom-minded people. Hear our prayer this morning, God. Hear our prayer. It's really true. You know, we search for joy and peace in so many things. And um, once you put Jesus at the center of your heart, um, it's the only answer. It's the only thing that works. Nothing else works. So let's, you know, let's make it a point to, to try and put Jesus at the center of our lives. It's not easy. Um, the world will fight against you. The enemy will fight against you. Your fleshy desires will fight against you. But um, Jesus is the only way. He's the only answer. And um, let him turn your graves into gardens.